You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for being with us. This election has presented new and worrying challenges to those of us who hope to shed some light on the truth about the world we live in. Both candidates, presidential candidates, have been caught saying things that just are not supported by the facts. But of course, Donald Trump has been especially vigilant in saying things that are easily disproportionate proven, and he continues to repeat them anyway. Even when he gets called out on things that aren't true, he continues to say them over and over. This morning, Atlantic Magazine editor Jeffrey Goldberg said on NPR, quote, we've moved into a new phase of the way in which truth is understood in part of the American polity, and that's troubling. And of course, that got us thinking about this bigger question of what is the truth? Is it subjective? And does truth matter? Also, what has happened to the notion of truth in 2016? Have we fundamentally altered the shared set of facts that used to sort of define common understanding, cultural understandings in this country? Have we redefined the way we see history uh, and, and things that actually happened versus things that did not happen? And what they do to inform our understanding of what's true and what's not. Something about 2016 does seem different than it did in the past. It does seem as though we have pushed the bounds in our discourse of the idea of truth further this time than we have before. We're going to spend the rest of the hour today talking about this notion of the truth, of shared facts among us, uh, of the idea of what role that truth ought to play in political discussions, in cultural discussions, in social discussions. Has that changed in 2016? And what does that mean in 2017 or 2018? Or what will it mean in 2025? Joining me to lead that discussion uh, are two folks who have uh, thought a lot about this. Bruce Russell is a professor of philosophy at Wayne State University. And Charlotte Alter is a writer for Time. And she is the co-author of an article called The Truth is Out There in 2016 way out there. Bruce and Charlotte, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Stephen. Absolutely. And of course, we want to hear from you. You're the listeners uh, are the ones who are consuming all of this information and watching this debate, not just about the issues, but about the truth unfold in the 2016 presidential election. What do you think of that? What do you think of the idea of candidates who push the bounds of true and false and dispute the idea that things that are provably true are true. What do you think of the effect that's having on the discussion we're having in 2016 about politics? Is it, uh, is it changing the way we think about our politics and our voting, uh, the structure of our government? What is it going to mean in the future? Are we going to be able to pull things back to the idea of solid, provable truth meaning something, mattering in our political discussions. 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, uh, put your comments there, or you can uh, hashtag Detroit Today on Twitter, and we'll try to work your comments into the conversation that way. Uh, 
Charlotte, though, I want to start with you in this article you've written for Time, which uh, I, I think does a wonderful job of showing not just how difficult this notion of truth is on an individual level. I mean, you have many examples in the story of people saying things that are not true in in sort of ironic situations where the truth is right in front of them, for instance. Right. Uh, but I think it also harkens again to this idea of the role of truth more generally, not just in politics, as I said, but 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 in the culture, that there is a casualty perhaps of the value of truth in 2016 that that will be important. Yeah, definitely. Certainly. I mean, one of the things that I have found to be kind of that I found to be kind of interesting in reporting out that article was, um, you know, much has been made this entire cycle about the media and the problem with the media and both sides sort of vilified the media. And um, you know, I I don't. I, I'm, I'm no apologist. I don't think the media is perfect at all. I'm a member of it, obviously, but um, there are a lot of problems. Uh, but what I think is, what I think is, there's, there's kind of a, um, everyone's picking on the wrong problem. It's not really a quality problem with the media. It's a quantity problem. Uh-huh. Um, there is simply too much content out there. There's just too much content. There is so. There are so many outlets, there are so many blogs, there are so many radio shows, there are so many, you know, podcasts and TV shows and outlets of all different kinds. Now there's Facebook Live. And what what that means is that um, for people who, you know, that means that you have to know which grain of salt to put with which media outlet. So, you you know, you, you have to have a certain level of sophistication in order to know, oh, hey... Fox News spins conservative, but MSNBC spins liberal, and the Wall Street Journal spins a little financially conservative, and Breitbart is extreme, you know, extremely full of conspiracy theories, but Vox, V-O-X, um, you know, is, tends to be more, more on the liberal side. So lots of people see these stories and see these arguments um, pop up on their Facebook feed or their Twitter feed, and they don't know, um, they don't know the context. They don't know the slant of that um, outlet that they're reading. Right, um, right. And so, and that means that people don't really have the full context to correctly um, sort of contextualize and interpret the information that they're reading. Right, right. In your, in your piece, uh, you talk about in the lead, uh, uh, a man in uh, North Carolina uh, waiting for Donald Trump to take the stage at a rally. And he mm-hmm. holds up his phone so people can see the latest headline that he just read, which says, quote, Obama announces plans for a third term presidential run. Now, right. of course, that that is not just untrue, as I, as I said in the in the intro. It's one of those things that's provably False. Number one, uh, our Constitution prevents a third term for, for President Obama. But also, President Obama has never said anything about running for a third term, and, and we, could, we could easily prove that. But of course, if you say that, if you say that to uh, this person in North Carolina, his retort is, 
uh, that people I'm, aren't being taught history anymore. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so he's right. saying that there's a problem with people's understanding of the truth. At the same time, he's perpetrating this idea of falsehood masquerading as the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really well, so, complicated. That's a really complicated uh, theory to sort of unpack there, right? Right, and you know, and one of the things that um, that I learned, which it, which is interesting, is sort of the definition of a conspiracy theory is a very specific thing. A conspiracy theory is not just a false idea. A conspiracy theory is is something that swallows anything that challenges it. So if this guy thinks that Donald that uh, Barack Obama is running for a third term, and the New York Times runs a story that says Barack Obama is definitely not running for a third term, there's no way that's happening. That is bogus and false. Right. This guy thinks, oh, well, the New York Times is in on it. That's why. Right. He doesn't. So so anything that you present to challenge any and and that's why you know um one of the other things that have come out in the last couple of months is a, a pretty interesting study on, on climate change and sort of beliefs about climate change. And that's one of the reasons why um, climate change denial is so persistent. It's not in spite of all the evidence that climate change is real. It's because of all the evidence that climate change is real. Right. Because, because more, the, the more evidence there is, the more government agencies that come out and say, hey, this is happening, the more high-profile scientists agree on this, the more this becomes a general consensus that, like, the climate is changing and it's because of human activity, the more conspiracy theorists believe that everyone's all in cahoots to make them to make the world think that. Right. So it's like this cycle of suspicion, basically. The more truth there is, the more disbelief it engenders, which, which is, again, almost a through-the-looking-glass kind of dynamic, but I think... Uh, in your article, you do a good, tr- a really good job of pointing out how prevalent that kind of thinking uh, has really become. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Professor yeah. Russell. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Charlotte. Oh no, no, no. I, I mean, I, I, yes, I, I think, I think you put your finger on it, and I think one of the things that is um, especially uh, challenging about this year is that Donald Trump is himself a conspiracy theorist. Right. He speaks that language. Yes. And, and so, pushes all the little buttons, right? That, and, uh, and he pushes all the little buttons. And, you know, he's he's the one who, like, really, you know, lit fire to the birtherism movement. He's the one that really kind of spread that in a real way. I mean, like, people were talking about it in dark corners of the Internet before he took it up. But he was the one that mainstreamed that. And, you know, what... What in previous elections were disagreement about policy or about priorities or attitudes, you know, what's the best model for taxation, you know, how should Social Security be structured, uh, you know, what's the, what is our responsibility to people who are living in poverty, all of those things have now been sidelined because now, now people aren't even on the same, people aren't even dealing with the same set of facts right. and the same understanding of a shared history. Yeah, um, Professor Russell, I want to bring you into the conversation here. Uh, you study this from an academic perspective, from the perspective of philosophy. What I remember from philosophy, the philosophy courses I took in college, is that this notion of truth means something different in that context than it does in the context where, where we talk about it politically, for instance, that there is uh, a, a deeper sort of 
um, understanding of the idea of truth and its role and importance. Um, talk some about how your view of truth and the value of truth meshes or doesn't, I guess, with this discussion in the political arena in 2016. Well, thanks. I think it actually does mesh with the discussion of in the political arena. So I think the basic notion is true rather than truth. And so I think that the things that are either true or false or statements or propositions, and they're true insofar as they reflect the facts. The facts are the things that make propositions true when they are. And there can be simple propositions like, uh, suppose I say there's a desk in front of me. It's true. Why is it true? Because, in fact, there's a desk there. And I think everybody, when they reflect, will say that there's some truth about uh, global warming and the like. People disagree about what the truth is, but surely uh, either human activity is contributing to global warming or it's not. There's some truth about that matter. And I think really what people ignore nowadays is not so much truth, but evidence. They're not so concerned about what good reasons there are for believing this thing is true. Right. And it doesn't matter whether it's a theory about global warming or whether uh, Obama is running for a third term or anything like that. They, they don't pay attention to the evidence. Why don't they? I think that they're interested in having theories in order to understand things, and they don't know how to assess sources and they say well look this source says so and so and so and so they might even put forth a theory and they trust that source and so they believe the theory maybe on the basis of the evidence the source has presented or maybe just because the source has produced and presented this theory and i think uh, uh she's right about saying that conspiracy theories are what philosophers will say unfalsifiable theories they won't allow anything to count against their theory. And that's a bad feature of a theory about what's going on in the world. Right. There's, there's still a flat Earth society who thinks the Earth is flat. You say, wait a second, look at those pictures from outer space. It's round. <laughs> no, the government produced those pictures to fool us. It's not really round. It's flat. There's some ulterior motive that the government has. And so it's a self-protective theory. And that's what's really dangerous, that it, people have theories that they won't allow any evidence to count against them. And it doesn't matter whether you have a liberal or a conservative theory or whatever it is, you should be open to the evidence. Right, right. And this idea of how we discern what's true and what's not, I think, is also one of the casualties of this this election cycle. The The, the idea, as you point out, that because I believe something, that that comes to be synonymous with the truth and therefore sort of the evidentiary uh, uh, proof on uh, that, that, that may challenge that or question it at all is, is all, to me, white noise. I just block it out. I, I don't believe it. I believe it. It's, I assign uh, uh, specious motive to it and, and dismiss it. But the truth from from the perspective of many people is about their belief. And that's the to me, that's where some of the dissonance is taking place. 
Well, and some of my students sometimes say to me, well, such and such is true for me. And I say, you know, that only means that you believe it's true. Okay, so (laughs) let's get down to the brass tacks. Is it really true? Do you have any reason to think it's true or not? And I think about why people uh, people vary along a scale about whether they have sophisticated theories that basically are self-protective or not. Maybe the ordinary person, some people don't really have saving hypotheses, but very sophisticated conspiracy theories have a core theory, but then they have a bunch of saving hypotheses that surround the theory and protect it. Right. Right. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Bruce Russell. He's a professor of philosophy at Wayne State University and Charlotte Alter, a writer for Time. She co-wrote an article called The Truth is Out There in 2016. Way out there. We are talking about the idea of truth. Truth in the context of the 2016 presidential election. Uh, facts have been, as I have said before in this program, uh, sort of an endangered species during many of the discussions uh, that we've had in 2016 about politics, about culture, about society. Uh, what does the truth really mean? How do we discern the truth? And how do we make the truth matter more in the discussions that we're having? Should there be or can there be anymore a shared set of facts that we as Americans all sort of agree on in terms of what is true and what is not, and let the disagreements be about what we do about those truths. Is that even possible after the lying, the spectacular fibbing that has taken place in the 2016 presidential contest? We want to hear from you about this. Uh, What do you think of the way truth has been bent or uh, or sullied even during the 2016 uh, presidential contest? Do you think the candidates are responsible for, in many cases, pushing the bounds of what truth is and why it matters? And what do you think we can do to move people back to this space where facts matter, where evidence matters, and uh, and the truth is determined on those bases. 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page uh, and hashtag us at Detroit Today on Twitter. We'll work your comments into the conversation that way. Let's go to Lori in Ferndale. Lori, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Um, I was just curious, and what a great segment, by the way. Um, oh, thank you. How, how do you feel or how do you guys associate mental health in the United States with this um, upward trend of conspiracy theory in the mass media? Uh, excellent question, uh, Laurie. <laughs> I, I wasn't necessarily going to go there quite this uh, this quickly, but I'm glad you did. Uh, I'll start with you, Bruce Russell. This idea of mental illness driving the the saleability, I suppose, of conspiracy theory. It does seem like there's a lot of people more eager than in the past uh, to accept the idea that there is a conspiracy, that the fix is in uh, and that fact is sort of uh, you can sacrifice the idea of fact uh, be, by assigning conspiracy motive to someone who's telling you something that may be true or false, you say, well, I know who you are. I know what you believe. I'm going to dismiss it. Is there a connection there between uh, uh, th- that sort of conspiracy, the ease of the conspiracy theory and mental health or mental 
well-being, I suppose. Well, I'm going to say at some point in this program that people ought to pay more attention to the experts in whatever area it is. And so now you should take with a grain of salt everything I'm going right, to say. Right, because you're not a mental health expert, I'm not a right? mental, or a psychologist or nothing like that. So uh, I, I really don't have the expertise to pronounce. I mean, I have suspicions that it's the may, most of this is not dependent on that, that there are people who are trying to understand the world as rational creatures, that's what we do. Sure. And so we try to look for coherent theories that, you know, hang together in a certain way, even though they're self-protective, they have all of these uh, components that make a kind of coherent picture of things, even though it isn't the best explanation of the facts or ignores some of the facts and only explains some of them. So I think more often than not, it's just uh, basic human nature, which is wants to accept coherent theories to understand things. And it's hard to do uh, all the investigation to gather the evidence yourself. And then it becomes a question about who are the experts and whom you should trust. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Charlotte Alter, of, of time, you've been out doing a lot of uh, uh, reporting on, on what people think during this, this campaign. And I, I want to ask you about uh, something that's sort of related, I guess, to, to this question of mental illness or conspiracy there. It's, it's fear. We hear a lot about the fear that uh, some voters uh, have about their lives, about their economic stability, about, uh, about immigration, about all kinds of things. And that, uh, to me, there is a connection between that fear and the ability to sort of dismiss truth and evidence as a way of protecting yourself from the thing that you are feel fearful of. Are mm-hmm. you are you picking that up from people on the campaign trail? Certainly. I mean, to, to, to the point about mental health, um, I think one of the things that is kind of interesting that's been happening here is that I, I actually, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's an, it's an interesting question. I don't see a real, I don't see the evidence of, I don't think that the Trump phenomenon is evidence of like a widespread mental health crisis in the United States. Like, I don't think that those two things are correlated. I think what we are seeing is that um, these types of conspiracy theories used to only be um, talked about by people who maybe were, you know, had a little bit of paranoia or were uh, dealing with a mental health crisis or, you know, there's a, there's a stereotype of the sort of tinfoil hat type person, who, you know, right. that, 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 uh, that until this year, those would only be the people that would be saying the things that we're hearing. I think that what we're seeing now is that these kinds of sort of kookier um, conspiracy theories have been brought into the mainstream and Trump has done that. So I, I, I don't think it's that everybody who believes these things uh, is crazy. I think it's that the things sane people are now being able, beginning to believe what once only crazy people believed. Right, right. Um, I know that's not a politically correct term, you know, but... <laughs> right, the, the, right. <laughs> yeah, but, that's okay. Um, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, you know, it's like... It's the, 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 and so I, I don't think that, um, you know, I met 
I've met dozens of people who say to me, the complete, completely calm, straight face, absolutely. You know, I, I don't think these, these people are employed. They have families. They lead respectable lives. They are, you know, uh, a, you know, members of society. They, they don't seem to be struggling with any serious mental illness. And they'll say to me with a completely straight face, um, you know, Obama is a Muslim and the UN is trying to start the new world order right. to, uh, you know, as a conspiracy by a global elite to, you know, take away our culture and our guns. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and it's, it's, and they're, and they're not schizophrenic. You know, they, I, I really just don't think, I mean, look, I'm not a, I'm not a psychiatrist either, so I'm not, you know, performing a mental health diagnosis on every person I speak to, but I try as a general rule not to go around, you know, interviewing and quoting people who I think are mentally ill. Um, I just think that's like not nice to do. Yeah, right. um, or like, you know, to, to so, um, uh, but, uh, but that yeah, fear, I mean, that fear you describe, that, that sort of yeah. Thing. Well, what what I think is really you know, I'm glad that you mentioned that because one of the things, you know, another thing that I think uh, is interesting about this is that there has been a lot of rhetoric about how um, the Trump Trump land is made up of people who have lost their manufacturing jobs and who are down on their luck and who haven't, you know, their job has gone overseas. And I've actually spoken to a lot of people who aren't down on their luck. They're, they are, they've kept their jobs. They're fine. They're right. retired. You know, maybe, maybe they haven't made as, as uh, many gains as they hoped they would have had. But, you, you know, they, uh, I actually don't think that I've spoken to anybody who said to me, I lost my job. I'm one of those mill workers who lost their job when, you know, the factory moved to Mexico. Yeah. And, um, so I think it's this, it's not, it, I think you're right. It's a fear of losing what they thought America was, which yes. is an, which is an America that's for white people yeah. and an America where white men who wear suits are in charge and other white men who wear gloves and helmets <laughs> can support their families on a single salary. Yeah. And that America is probably already gone and so i think i think what we're seeing from is is a mixture of fear that that life that they thought they would have is is never coming back and anger sure um that it's that it's that the world is no longer like that and and uh, donald trump has been great at uh scapegoating right scapegoating different demographics uh, as the cause of that right of that that change, whether it's Muslims, whether it's uh, Mexican immigrants, whether it's uh, whether it's African Americans, which I think he's done mm-hmm. uh, in in some coded terms. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Uh, Emily in Detroit. Emily, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, thank you for having me on. Sure. I'm sitting here at UDM right now, about to run in and teach my philosophy course with <laughs> on some Rawls and some Kant here, and go. I wanted to point a question <laughs> at Professor Russell. Now, Wayne State has this fantastic analytical tradition that they bring to Detroit, and I was wondering if the problem that uh, Professor Russell pointed out, this idea that students select their truths rather than seeking out uh, 
critical analysis and seeking out uh, disagreement with it is having a negative impact on the analytical tradition, at least here in our context. Wow. Uh, great question, Emily. Thanks very much for calling and asking Professor Russell. I'll let you answer that. Well, so I think uh, Wayne State's philosophy department is known as a very analytic department. That's, that means that we put a premium on careful reasoning and argumentation and evidence and the like. It's been that way for years. From uh, It was a very famous department back in the 60s and still follows that same tradition. And I'm still trying to fight the good fight in my classes <laughs> and anywhere else I can go. So my answer is it hasn't really affected me or my colleagues, I think. Uh, and we're still out there trying to convince people that you ought to be uh, careful in your reasoning bring evidence to bear on issues and the like. Right, right. Uh, let's go to Mark in Flint. Mark, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Hey, Mark. Um, yeah, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, you know, in order for people to formulate um, uh, a reasonable um, idea of what's going on, what truth is, I think, you know, the media should present all facts, whether they like it or not, um, but I find that the media in general has been ignoring uh, the decades of, um, you know, criminal activities and scandals that Hillary's been involved in, and WDET doesn't even mention any WikiLeaks. They don't do, they don't do any uh, investigative reporting. They don't do anything about Watergate, about Whitewater, about um, Travelgate, Cattlegate, you know, on and on and on. Nothing is brought up. Now, I'm not saying that it's all necessarily true, but, you know, <laughs> investigative journalists should at least look at the facts and then try to, you know, vet them out. So, Mark... But I hear nothing, nothing at all. So, Mark, so Mark let me ask you a question. What is it that you... What is it about Hillary Clinton that you think we you want to know that you haven't been told by the media? Well, the main thing is I would like to know why she hasn't been charged for lying to Congress, lying to the FBI lying to the american people i mean it's a complete joke well the she fbi mark mark the fbi came out and said the justice department decided why she was not going to be charged over the you're talking about the emails correct yeah yeah I well mean, she, the, but the justice department came out and said here's what we did here's what we found and here's the and and it's not criminal it, it's but bad judgment after being served a subpoena is now that's blatant. I mean, that's not even a gray area. She wiped the server after being served a congressional subpoena. So, but and the Justice Department in the media is mum about it. They they pretend, oh, I didn't hear that. Well, it's just ridiculous. Mark, how do you know about it? If the media has, how do been I know about it? it? How have the media been mum about it? If if we haven't no, if we haven't reported it, how do you know? Well, the only people that have reported it is people that are. Uh, not protecting Hillary, which the majority of the media is. Now, come on, Stephen, you know this is to be fact, okay? I, Have you actually, guys done any stories well, on this Mark, I don't know that. Uh, we, the, the newspaper I work for, the Detroit Free Press, has written all the stories about what comes out on, on WikiLeaks. Uh, the, the, on the news, the news department here at WDET is reported on the WikiLeaks stories when they've come out. There, there is mentions all that all it gets. You okay. mentioned oh, WikiLeaks came out today and they said this, and then you move on. But you open your story up every day, trashing Trump, and your show is nothing but a trash trumper every single <laughs> a or a Trump trumper. trasher every single <laughs> Trump day, <trasher. laughs> every day. 
Okay. All I do is trash Trump. Okay. Well, fair enough, Mark. I, I, I don't agree with you, but I do really appreciate the fact that you listen to the show. I appreciate the fact that you called in. I'd encourage you to keep listening. I think uh, we, we do our best here to, to try to to try to tell lots of different sides of the story. But this is also not a news program. It's a talk show. So, I mean, we do have uh, things that we want to focus on and choose those over other things. Uh, and maybe maybe that's not to your to your liking. But but again, I, I do appreciate your listening. Uh, Charlotte Alter, I want to give you the chance to answer that that charge uh, about the media protecting one candidate over another here in 2016. I'm I'm glad uh, I'm glad that this got uh, brought up because it's it's something that uh, needs to be talked about more and um, I, I I hate to say it but it's just it's just wrong I mean the New York Times which everybody slams as you know this as you know the liberal newspaper the New York Times broke the story of the of the secret email server yes. I mean like if they were so if they're so in the pocket for Hillary Clinton like. Why, you know, why wouldn't they just not like it? Like it just it doesn't it doesn't um, make sense. I mean, every news outlet has run multiple extremely tough stories about Clinton's use of the email server. Her um, her response to Benghazi has been thoroughly investigated. I mean, the the thing is that like there's almost I think there's almost there's there's uh there is so much media scrutiny on on Hillary Clinton. I don't. I just don't think it's really a fair charge to say that the media is ignoring. Um, yeah, that, I mean, I think that, the the problem is that the things that that are being reported about her don't rise to the level of criminality or unethical behavior that the expectations are for right. a lot of people, right? Right. Uh, well, that's, and, and, that's, and that's always been the problem with the Clinton scandals, right, is that there's a lot of smoke but no fire. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think that, for example, when... And that gets email, blamed on the media as opposed exactly, to the facts. As, as, as opposed to what is, I really think is the truth and also what makes a lot of sense if you, you know, just psychological sense if you think about human beings, which is that... The Clintons are, in my opinion, um, they have a lot of problems. They are they are secretive. They uh, have a mistrust of the media. They are they have they are chummy with elites, and they have um, you know they 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 they're, they've they've sh- shown some bad judgment in some of the donations they've taken, especially with the foundation. Um, and there have been a lot of mistakes and a lot of scandals, but there are not. I mean. The, the reason the media isn't reporting that, you know, Hillary Clinton secretly emailed to, like, get so-and-so murdered and, like, well, you know, she orchestrated a big murder and this and that, and, like, is because it didn't happen. It's right. not true, yeah. you know? So, so you know, we... But it's we hard are, to, yeah, it's just yeah. very hard to get to that space. Right, but, and, but, so, but, but I'm, I'm glad that we got to speak to Mark because yeah. this is... Well, and uh, like I said, I'm glad he's listening and calling in. I mean, uh, that, that's exactly, part of exactly. the... Right, but this, is, but, but this is exactly what um, what the challenge is here is that there's so much suspicion, all this all this all this suspicion is being brewed all over the place about you know oh well the Clintons secretly you know the, like like this idea that Hillary Clinton started ISIS. I mean, for example, 
uh, Donald Trump said in one of the debates that Hillary Clinton started right. ISIS right. like back in the 1970s when ISIS actually got started, you know, only a couple of years ago. I mean, right. like it's right. so. But people so believe it. Yeah. Pe- people believe it. And then when they don't see these falsehoods reported in The New York Times or in Time magazine or on ABC News or on CNN or in the D- Detroit Free Press or in any of the sort of more mainstream media outlets, they think oh, these mainstream media outlets are suppressing this real scandal, which is that Hillary Clinton is a murderer and a liar and, uh, you know, yeah. a we, robot. We need, to take, uh, we need to take another quick break here before, uh, before we get too late in the hour. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about the truth, and we'll get back to you on the phones, what you think about truth in 2016. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. My guests are Bruce Russell, professor of philosophy at Wayne State University, and Charlotte Alter, a writer for Time, co-author of an article called The Truth is Out There in 2016, Way Out There. We're talking about the role of truth in the 2016 presidential contest and, of course, going forward. Has it changed because of what's happened this year? Let's go to Mark in Livonia. Welcome to Detroit Today, Mark. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh-huh. Um, I'm in fact a philosophy teacher as well, and I, I'm, I know Bruce. Hi, Bruce. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I've uh, done a series of talks on conspiracy theories, and so if I could just go back for a minute to the discussion of mental illness. Uh-huh. So if you direct it, if you think in terms of mental illness as like people being kind of crazy, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you think in terms of this old term paranoia. One of the classic articles on conspiracy theories was, comes from Richard Hofstetter, and he talks explicitly in terms of paranoia about the culture. And then, just to bring it more recent, Jennifer Whitson, a psychologist at USLA, has used certain specific studies on this. She has an essay called The Emotional Roots of Conspiratorial Perception, and she shows that when people are afraid, they're more likely to find patterns where they are not. And, of course, one of the things you can say about it, conspiracy theories is they're over-generating patterns that aren't there. And so the more afraid people are, the more likely they are to see patterns when patterns don't exist. And, of course, to me, that just, in a way, just, you know, does all of what Trump's doing. He's right. stoking fear, and you get these over-pattern findings. That's an interesting, I mean, it's an interesting distinction, distinction you're drawing there, Mark, this idea of not mental illness, but paranoia. Uh, Professor Russell, talk about that role, that dynamic in, in this discussion about truth. Well, I'm glad Mark Cusin called in because he is an expert about conspiracy <laughs> theories, and I'm not. Uh, uh, but uh, I, I think that the paranoia, the problem, I think uh, Mark is using it in a broad sense that maybe not the technical, narrower sense that psychiatrists might use it in, but I think there's something to what he says. However, I I suspect there are many routes to uh, people who adopt conspiracy theories. It may be self-interest, and so they think, well, you know, this view, uh, if I accept it, it will actually further my interests because I'm um, among the white males who are afraid of or might lose their job or their power. It might also be actually some kind of racism or prejudice that they have that motivates their 
grabbing onto some theory that is not really well supported might qualify as a conspiracy theory. So all I'd have to say to Mark is I suspect that the roots are multiple, although the one that you point out is also one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks for. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Charlotte. Sorry, do, you, yeah. do you mind if I just jump in to add yeah. one more thing? Go right on, ahead. On we that. got about a minute left, um, so go oh, ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Really quick. A lot of it also, I think, has to do with Facebook because uh, it used to be that people got their news from you know the TV or the newspaper. Now they get their news from what their friends post. Yes. And so yes. if you're seeing things, if you're seeing things that your friends are posting about this idea or that idea, you're more likely to believe it. And it doesn't need to rise to the standard of what NBC News would report for it to reach your eyeball. Yeah, yeah that's really that's a really great point. Uh, uh, that's going to have to do it for us uh, today here on Detroit Today. I want to thank Charlotte Alter of Time and Bruce Russell, philosophy professor at Wayne State University, for helping me lead this conversation. It was really great. Uh, thank you both for being here on Detroit Today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber Davis and Jake Neer. The program director is Joan Isabella. The technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And that wonderful Detroit Today theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station. See you tomorrow.